Good morning. Uh, just uh, a follow-up on that. Mark and Ruth and uh, Ruth's sister Pat will be available after the service, but um, by all means, please take some time just to welcome them, uh, get to know them, ask them some questions. I know that they are sincere when they uh, say that if you ever happen to be passing through Taiwan, they would love for you to follow along and just minister with them and, and be ministered to uh, by them. And I know that, Steve, isn't it, am I correct that just not too long ago you did just that, right? You, yeah, you, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So uh, just a quick highlight from that trip. Very, very nice. Um, you know, as you were sharing and the video was playing, I thought of uh, um, Paul's words, the Apostle Paul, uh, his words to the Romans when he says in the first chapter of that book, he's, he says, I long to see you so that I can be of some encouragement to your faith and so that you can be of encouragement to mine. And so I just, I'm thankful uh, for you, Mark and Ruth, for being encouragement to our faith. And I'm prayerful that your being here this morning and our participation over the years is of some encouragement to yours. So um, just delighted to have you. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1 this morning. But before we uh, get there, I want to pray. And I want to encourage you to pray along with me. Father, we want to thank you this morning for these moments we share. Thank you for Mark and Ruth and for Ruth's sister, Pat. Thank you just um, for good friends and family in the Lord. Thank you for kinship in Christ and for fellowship in the Spirit. Thank you for these accounts of... Um, your redeeming work in the world uh, and for these gospel victories along the way. Thank you for the joy and privilege of participating with you in the advance of your kingdom in people's lives. Uh, thank you for the way in which you've given uh, the harbors this um, this, this ministry they're calling Harvest 119, and we just lift that before you and ask that you, O oh God, would bring many to yourself through those endeavors. And I pray that you would encourage Mark and Ruth and um, that they would indeed be assured that their labors in the Lord are never in vain. And so may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. And Father, when we think of the events of earth, we are sometimes uh, left despairing and discouraged. Even recently, we've, we've heard of hurricanes and earthquakes and wars and threats of war. Uh, we hear of infighting and division and discord among the nations including our own. 
We hear of political tension, uh, racial tension, uh, violence, and slander in every way. And, uh, and we confess, God, this morning that we have contributed to this in more ways than we may care to admit. And so we ask that you would purify our hearts this morning. You are good and you do good. Uh, you work all things for the good to those who love you and been called by you. And so we trust in that this morning even as we come before your word. And then, Father, as we come before your word, would you bring it to us? Would you plant it within us? Would you impress it upon us? Um, God, would you enable our speaking and hearing of it and our ability to receive it? Would you identify in each of our lives those areas where your word is going ignored? and where we are going astray. And would you bring us back? Would you purify our hearts this morning? And so we would just ask that you do good to your people. We thank you for these moments. We don't want to lose the opportunity you've provided us. So do good to your people, each one of us, and thus bring glory to your name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jonah chapter 1. One game my kids enjoy playing is hide and seek. They play with each other and, uh, and with their friends, and sometimes I join in. Now, if you've ever played hide and seek with a child, then you know that you have a distinct advantage. You know the best places to hide, you know how to cover your tracks, and you know that they don't know these things. Playing hide-and-seek with my kids is fun, not because I can win, but because I love watching how they play. They can't keep quiet, always giggling under their breath. Uh, they hide in obvious places. And even when their feet are poking out from under the curtains, they're convinced that they are well covered. When it comes to hide-and-seek, young children seem to operate by one basic principle. If they can't see you, then you can't see them. And I share that because many of us live by that same principle when it comes to God. And Jonah is a classic example. Jonah is among the earliest of the prophets, a contemporary of Amos and Hosea, who appeared on the scene roughly 800 years before the birth of Christ. Jonah resided in Israel's northern kingdom at a time when Jeroboam II sat on the throne. And Jonah is mentioned elsewhere in Scripture only once in 2 Kings 14.25 where somewhat suspiciously he prophesied in Jeroboam's favor though the king was steeped in sin. 
Jonah's not what we'd expect from a man of God. Certainly not a prophet. Though he appears pious at times and at times draws the right conclusions, he gets it very, very wrong on more than a few occasions. He disobeys God. He runs from God. He hides from God. It seems he thinks that as long as he can't see God, God can't see him. Perhaps the biggest reason why we have the book of Jonah and why we need the book of Jonah is because we are Jonah. I mentioned this last week. Running from God was not Jonah's problem only, it's ours as well. And Jonah therefore provides a window into God's heart and a much needed look into our own and the difference between between God's heart and ours Uh, is seen right from the start as the book opens with Jonah fleeing the presence of the Lord. So let's read this together. Jonah chapter 1, and I want to consider just verses 1 through 3 this morning. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. I want to take these three verses one at a time because they describe the Word of God, verse 1, the will of God, verse 2, and the way of man, verse 3. Will of God, Word of God, will of God, way of man. Verse 1 introduces us to the two main players in the book of Jonah. There is the Lord... And there is Jonah, the son of Amittai. And we're told that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, in other words, God spoke. That is significant. That's no small detail. God, the creator, interacts with his creation. The one who spoke all things into existence still speaks. He's not silent, nor has he withdrawn from us. Rather, he speaks to us and is speaking today. If you've ever wondered or questioned whether God was involved in your life, be assured that as with Jonah, the word of the Lord is coming to you even this morning. Even right now, from from this book, through my mouth, into your, our ears and hearts. God is present with us and He is speaking to us. To Jonah He said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, as verse 1 was the Word of God, here in verse 2 we find the will of God. God gave Jonah clear instruction 
an unambiguous assignment. Jonah was to go to Nineveh to warn the Ninevites about their wickedness because God is just and judgment is coming. Now, Nineveh was one of the capitals of the Assyrian Empire and thus one of the great cities of the ancient world. Situated on the eastern bank of the Tigris River, it was just a couple hundred miles, a couple hundred miles northwest of modern Baghdad, just opposite the city of Mosul. Historically, the, the Assyrians were among the cruelest and most ruthless. The name Nineveh struck fear into people's hearts. Vile and violent, the Ninevites were hell-bent on destruction and oppression and intimidation. I want to read a quote from one of their legendary kings in his journals. He says, this is about one of his conquests. He says, I stormed the mountain peaks and I took them. In the midst of the mighty mountains, I slaughtered them, and their blood dyed the mountain red like wool. With the rest of them, I darkened the gullies and the precipices of the mountains. I carried off their spoil and their possessions. Their, the heads of their warriors I cut off, and I formed them into a pillar over and against their city. Their young men and their maidens I burned in the fire." Additional accounts of additional conquests describe even more atrocities. Opposing kings were sometimes skinned and their skins were hung on city walls. Other enemy military leaders were pierced through the jaw and led by chains like dogs. Bodies were impaled on stakes around the city. Others were mutilated and stacked in piles. Countless heads were stacked and formed into pyramids. No wonder Jonah ran. Jonah certainly hated the Ninevites. And he likely feared them as well. But God was neither hateful nor fearful. God is just, and eventually He brought justice to Assyria via the Babylonians, and He will bring final justice still. God is always opposed to evil and aware of every injustice in our world, and the judge of all the earth will do right in the end. But in His great mercy, God loves to save By sending Jonah to preach against Nineveh, he was warning them of the coming judgment so that he could save all who'd turn from their evil ways. God's heart for Nineveh was not its destruction, but its salvation. And that's God's heart for our world today. In in the will of God, we see the heart of God who pursues us, who warns us, and who... uh, who longs to save us. He is just, yes, and perfect and righteous judgment is coming. But until then, people, until then, God is patiently and mercifully calling out to us as with the Ninevites, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's good news.
Those of us who have repented already, who've received God's mercy and love, and we know the depths of His mercy and love, should know more than anyone that no one is beyond God's reach. And in fact, that God sends those He has reached to reach those He wants to reach. It's not necessarily easy. And it wasn't for Jonah. So his response in verse 3 on one hand makes sense. But Jonah rose and to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. I want to give you a visual of what this looked like. Kyle, if you want to throw that up on the screen. Nineveh. Nineveh. So, so there's Jonah over there at A, the letter A. That's his hometown of Gath Hefer. Nineveh is their letter B. That's about 500 miles to the west. Jonah goes to Joppa and then travels 25, I'm sorry, 500 miles to the east. Jonah goes to Joppa and travels 2,500 miles to the west to the southern city of Tarshish. Or to the, it's located in southern Spain. He went to the He wanted to distance himself from Nineveh as much as was humanly possible, right? At that time, apparently, uh, uh, Tarshish was the furthest westward port on the route. So he was looking to distance himself from Nineveh as much as humanly possible. But what becomes clear at this point, thanks Kyle, what becomes clear at this point is that Jonah wasn't running from Nineveh. He was running from God. And this is the way of men and women today. And so I want you to think about this question this morning. Are you running from God or to God? One morning this last week, I was driving, uh, as I was driving them to school, I asked my girls about their thoughts on this issue. And so I said, do, do people run from God today? What do, you, what do you think about this idea of running from God And do people run from God today? And if so, how so? And the responses were spot on. They talked about avoidance. That sometimes people run simply to avoid the truth or what they know to be right. They they mentioned not giving a particular struggle or sin over to God. 
saying, they said that, that we run from God when we try to fix our mess ourselves. In those moments, we're running from God. Like the child who breaks mom's vase and is trying desperately to glue it back together before she, tr- uh, before she finds out. They talked about withdrawal, that sometimes when given the choice to draw near to God, people pull away instead. And then, of course, they just mentioned outright disobedience, that people disobey God. When people disobey God, they are basically dead set in heading the opposite direction. And then I asked if they thought that running in these ways was a widespread issue or not. Uh, Is it common, I wanted to know, is it common among people today or simply a rare occurrence among a relative few. And I was just curious how they perceived the problem. And unsurprisingly, they said that it was very, very common that people run all the time. And they're right, aren't they? Truth be told, we're all guilty of running from God. Sometimes in obvious ways, Certainly in less than obvious. Consider these quick examples. We run from talking about God, don't we? From telling others about God, like Jonah. Now, I've never been called to Nineveh to cross into a culture like that, but certainly I've been called to cross my street to love my neighbor, and inwardly I've run in the opposite direction. We run from holiness. We justify and rationalize and even welcome certain impurities into our lives. And if you don't believe me, just consider for a moment your choices in entertainment. The things you you listen to and watch and read. We run from financial stewardship and sacrifice. We view money as the end all. Always wanting more, but rarely giving more. Indulging our material cravings while abandoning contentment and trust in the Lord. We run from sincere and authentic divine relationship into man-centered religion. We go to church, maybe. We sing hymns and songs. We pray. We may even attend Bible study. But but for some, there's a disconnect, isn't there, between what we say we believe and the fruit of our lives. Which is why the world, the unbelieving world, calls us hypocrites. And we run from unpleasant aspects of our own character. We know that when the light, the pure light of God's character shines upon ours, certain areas of our lives will be exposed. And we run from that. It's our way of minimizing God 
while masking our own deficiencies. And even if it seems we're not running, we're drifting. The littlest things, things done or left undone, lead to moral drift. And in the end, hear this, a casual walk from God invites the same distance as an all-out sprint. Why is this so universal? Because it's part of our nature. It owes to the sin that dwells within each of us, that part of us that's been terribly marred by sin ever since the fall of humankind When sin entered the world, men and women have been born into sin and thus have been running from God in one way or another. From Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit of the only tree that God forbade, from that point on, we've been running. Immediately, they knew they'd made a huge mistake. They knew they were in the wrong and in their guilt. They tried to cover their own shame when they heard the Lord approaching, they hid, or at least tried to. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Something happened in those moments that has marked every moment since. The human heart was divided. As sin began tugging, at that which was once devoted entirely to God. So there's Jonah, conflicted. Now, I assume he loved God. I assume he loved God. But when the word of the Lord came to him in those moments, he loved something else more. Maybe it was his sense of control and autonomy. This is my life. His sense of independence. Maybe it was his prejudice against the Ninevites. They're bad people. Maybe it was his own reputation. Can you imagine what his, his, what, what his uh, um, own people would think about Jonah were he to bring grace to the Ninevites? Maybe it was his ease and personal comfort. I mean... Let's be honest, Nineveh was not an easy assignment. Going to Nineveh at that time, as I thought about this, maybe would be something like entering the heart of the Islamic world today where jihadists hate and kill Christians. Whatever it was, it was enough to divide Jonah's heart and send him running. Running from God. Please hear this. Running from God is never about your feet. It's always about your heart. For where your heart is, your feet will follow. Are you running from the Lord today? The Lord has spoken to you. His word has come to you, even now, even this morning. And the tug of war within your own heart is real. What will you do? And which way will you go? To Nineveh with the personal presence of God? Or to Tarshish in some foolish attempt to flee that presence? 
You know, I find it interesting that the road to Tarshish, the way to Tarshish is always convenient. How convenient that Jonah found a ship going to Tarshish of all places. How convenient that he had enough in his pocket to pay the fare. How convenient that he found a place down in the hole of the ship where he could just go unnoticed and disappear. Things were just so convenient. Who knows, maybe Jonah actually began convincing himself that he was doing the right thing. You see, the course of disobedience is always convenient. But it always ends in hurt and heartache. You have a choice. You have a decision to make. We make this decision really day by day and even throughout the day. Will you trust the Lord as He sets the course? This one who cares for you and calls you and has the whole world in His hand... Or will you set it yourself apart from God as Jonah did and bring consequences upon yourself and others that could otherwise be avoided? Is it Nineveh or Tarshish? Where are you heading? And as you think through that question... I want to close with this. Maybe you're running and you know you're running and you're wondering how to stop running and return to God. Jesus once told a parable that answers this very question. The parable is about a son who ran from his father He was defiant toward his father, beyond disrespectful. Basically, he wanted nothing to do with his father and ran as far as he could away from his father to a far away country, said Jesus, where he squandered all the inheritance his father had given him. And then came an unexpected famine, and the reality of his need began to set in. He got a job feeding pigs. It was the only work he could find. He grew hungrier by the day, more isolated than ever, and he realized in those moments that the pigs actually had it better than him. They had food. They had water. They had a home and someone to care for them, but he had nothing. The sun hit Rock bottom. Now, as the parable unfolds, Jesus continues. You can find this in Luke 15. And Jesus says, Now, when the son came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose, and he came to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this is my son who was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found and they began to celebrate. The parable of the prodigal son is providing us a picture uh, of us and God. So here was someone who was running feverishly from God. And from the prodigal, we learn four things that I want to share with you briefly on how to return to God. First, he recognized the error of his ways. It says, when he came to himself, we would say, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, he, he realized just how foolish he'd been to leave his father's care. Secondly, he returned to God. He says, I will arise and go back to my father. This is what the Bible calls repentance, which means turning around, stopping and turning around and uh, ceasing from going your way to going God's instead. Third, he confessed his wrongdoing. He said, I'll say to my father, I have sinned. And I'm no longer worthy to be yours. He acknowledged his guilt and he came clean. And then fourth, finally, he received God's forgiveness and love. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the parable goes on to say, how the father threw a grand welcome home party for the son, complete with the best robe and a ring of honor and a feast for all and all celebrated. And Jesus is saying that that's what God is like. That's God's heart on full display. That's how God responds when you stop running. So recognize the error of your ways. Decide to return to God. Confess your wrongdoings and your need for God. And receive from God His forgiveness and love. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. 
The bad news is that Jonah ran. The good news is that God pursued. God is faithful and he does not let us go. More on that next week. Amen. Father, I want to I want to give opportunity for everyone here just a brief moment of silence. And I would ask for your help as we search our own hearts and try to answer honestly the question of whether we are running from you or to you today. Maybe this is in a, in a grand scale in the sense that we we're just separated from you in our, in our sin and wrongdoing, and we've been running the whole of our lives. And so I would pray for any in this place this morning who have not received God's forgiveness and love. And I would ask, Lord, that you would even now give them the courage or, or the enable their ability to see the error of their ways, to come to their senses, as it were, and to return to you, to confess their need for you, and to receive from you. And then those of us, God, who have received time and time again, but still run from you in certain areas of our lives, I'd pray that you'd expose that too, so that we could be united to you, uh, clean before you, washed by you, and carry not this guilt any longer. So minister to us, I pray. Bring us to yourself and have your way in each of our lives. For your name's sake, amen. We're blessed this morning to be able to hear from uh, Ruth and her sister Pat, and then we'll close with a final song.